You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. You know, if it's this hard, should we even consider marriage? And I'm paraphrasing, of course. And he said, well, some are eunuchs from birth, and some are made eunuchs, and some set themselves apart for God for the purpose of service. But he said marriage, it was, when they were trying to attack marriage, the Sadducees or the Pharisees, Christ said that's not the way it was, not in the beginning. Because God designed marriage to be monogamous. One man, one woman, until death do them part. And that's God's perfect design. And as we think of that design, we considered last week, and we'll turn to it this week once again just to complete that, but there's two texts we're going to look at today. One of them is 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 7. Uh, and then we're going to look at Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 25. Before we start, let's go ahead and uh, go before the Lord. Father, we do thank you this morning because of your revealed word. And Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, which gives us understanding and also empowerment to do your will, and I just ask that your spirit would work this morning in each of us to enable us to understand, not for the purpose of intellectual accomplishment, but for the purpose of understanding to apply these truths to our lives. We just pray, Lord, that your spirit would guide us and direct us and that you would uh, be glorified as we apply these things to our lives. I just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last week we considered uh, a very substantial thought in regards to men, and that is that men are called to be learners. And I'll briefly describe that because we looked at it carefully last week. We're to learn how to understand and live with our wives. And the word understand, it referred to knowledge, and that is with a deeper knowledge of. So we're trying to uh, grasp how that is applied in life. And we considered, you know, the world says you can't understand a woman. Well, some of us perhaps have said that. I must admit I've come to that conclusion on a couple of times throughout the years. But Scripture says just the antithesis of that. We're to understand. We're called and commanded to understand. It's it's an imperative form, this verse. So how do we do that? That's a process. It isn't something that uh, comes naturally. It's something that we work at. So... Men, pay attention here, because we're going to examine some of these things 
in relationship to our marriage so that we can apply them. Now, I want to preface this uh, to begin with. If I had uh, attained perfection, then I would have written a book and sat back and let somebody else teach this. I haven't attained perfection. I'm learning these truths right along with the rest of you. But I desire to learn them, and I desire to apply them to my life. Not only in, uh, in the home, in the relationship at home, but these principles are universal. Because basically, they're this, the essence of agape love. And we bring that in to the understanding of 1 Corinthians 13. It's just the essence of selfless love. Considering the other as more important than yourself, considering how we can sacrificially help the other individual, and trying to emanate Christ's love through us. Now, I want to say this, because if we don't understand this, we're going to kind of look at these principles and say, well, that's good. Those are high standards, but I can't live up to that. Let me ask you, if you're a believer... Have you become partakers of the divine nature? Yay or nay? Yes. Second Peter chapter 1. You have become partakers of God's divine nature. Because of that, we are able to love with Christ's love. Now, we won't do that perfectly because we still live in this flesh. And yet, we have the capacity to love somebody with that unconditional love, which is agapao. That's the word for agape, or the love of God. We have that capacity because Christ is in us. We have God's Holy Spirit. We have the ability to love in that way, with God's divine love. So last week, when we looked at verse 7, and I'm reading out of the New King James, it says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with an understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, giving honor to our wives, that's a concept that we have to understand. The wording there is the same word that's used in another text in the New Testament referring to Christ's preciousness, his precious sacrificial love for us. And we're to regard our wives with that precious honor, as we considered last week, as a treasure. Our wives have been given to us as a gift, uh, Proverbs says, if a man finds a wife, he's found a good thing. Well, some of us look at that verse and go, yeah, that's a good thing. But it's more than just an object. When Christ has, let's see if there are any more. Oh, they're broken up. I was looking for more chairs up here, but there's one here and one there. And there's one back there. There's one over there. <laughs> I had to be an usher. I am an usher. 
That was a joke. (laughs) So as we consider honoring our wives and giving honor to them, it's the attitude of considering how precious this wife is that we have. Now, when we consider that, and we'll examine this closer as we get into Ephesians 5, is that dependent on our wife's response? I'm speaking to the men here. No. And you're not even going to blow that horn at me. Okay. You're agreeing. This is not a conditional love. It doesn't matter how our wives respond. Our wives may not always respond in a proper way. But that's not the condition that we're given for loving her and honoring her. Our love and our honor for our wives is because God's not only commanded it, but because we have that selfless love towards our spouse. Now, as we examine this love, we're going to look at it. It's not mechanical. You know, I love my wife because I'm commanded to. But we are commanded to love our wives. But that's not a mechanical love. That love is the perfect love that God has given us. And we're going to see how that fleshes out as we open up the text in Ephesians. So as we consider, okay, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Um, Some have been troubled over this verse, considering what that may mean, a weaker vessel. Well, it does not mean that the woman is weaker in character or intellect or possess any less qualities than a man, it simply means that physically, generally, the man has been designed by God to have more strength. It's relating to the physical realm of the woman. So as a consequence, the way God's designed it, I shouldn't say consequence, and because of God's design, man has been given the role of headship. Now, when we talk about headship, That means authority over. We looked at that a couple of weeks back. That means that man has been given the responsibility as provider, protector, leader in the home, spiritual leader as a believer, and to provide for his wife's needs in every way, physical, emotional, and ministering to her spiritually as a husband, believing husband. Now, Thomas. <laughs> I was just expressing a way that um, I served my wife by opening the mayonnaise jar. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Sorry, I, I would have got you quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That metaphor. So, as we consider this, it's not the weaker vessel in the sense that the woman is any less in character or any other way, it's just talking about in the physical realm, men are generally made stronger. Now, I'll preface that with this. Um, A couple of years ago, before pre-injury of my back, uh, somebody was moving in the church, and we were giving assistance. And I went in, and uh, a couple of the other men were with me, and they were carrying boxes downstairs. So I started to grab the box, And I couldn't lift it. 
And so I went over to get some a guy to help me. And a, one of the women that was helping came in, and she reached over and grabbed the box and walked out. <laughs> I looked at her, and I didn't say anything. And one of my friends saw it and said, what's the matter? And I said, nothing. <laughs> so there are times when we have to recognize that, you know, even a woman's strength is greater than a man's. But this is the context of this text. But look at it as it continues. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, when we consider that, uh, the grace of life, what does that mean? Uh, grace, of course, means unmerited favor. In marriage, it's a divine providence given to man regardless of his attitude towards the giver. In other words, marriage is given for mankind, whether they're believers or unbelievers. That's a grace of life. That is an unmerited blessing that God gives. Now, we as Christians and believers, we're, we're heirs of Christ, and we're joint heirs as husband and wife. So that is well is what this meaning could be as well in this text. But as we consider the uh, aspect of the errors of grace of life, we're partakers of God's divine plan in marriage, his divine ordinance. He's given this as he's planned it from the beginning. So that's what we are. We're partakers of this grace of life that God has provided. Now, Peter ends this verse with a very powerful admonition, and yet it's also an exhortation. Actually, it's an, edif- it's an edification here. Edi- <clears throat> it should edify us as well. Listen to this. That your prayers may not be hindered. This is a promise. As men are serving God and are obedient to God in ministering to their wives and loving their wives, their prayers are not going to be hindered. But the admonition in this verse, if we're not doing that, then our prayers will be hindered. Why would that be? Why would our prayers be hindered? If we're not being obedient to God in loving our wives in this way, understanding them, honoring them, cherishing them, why would our prayers be hindered? Do you hear that? Lanny hit it right in the head. God will not hear the prayer of sinners. We would be in that category as disobedient husbands. We're in sin. So, of course, the only prayer that God would hear at that time is a repentant prayer of asking forgiveness for our sin. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So many times men are in a place and they disregard all the texts that refer to their responsibilities and roles in marriage and don't take it serious enough to realize that if we're not obeying that, our prayers will be hindered. Oftentimes... um, We'll look at our own lives and 
were convicted by some passage or text out of Scripture. We always are. And when we come to this in marriage, we should recognize that God has given us these principles in a command form. So in other words, these are priorities for a believing husband, how he should treat his wife. So that, one of the reasons, your prayers won't be hindered. I must be doing something. What do I do now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> My military experience will come in handy at this point. Okay, let's turn to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians in chapter 5. Since we've been giving given this responsibility, we want to try to understand how do we carry this out? How do we love our wives? Let me give you a little bit of history here. Uh, because of the curse, and we looked at this briefly a few weeks ago, because of the fall, the curse on marriage and the inclinations of the fallen nature and of the world oppose God's plan in marriage. So don't ever think, men, even as Christians, that we're not going to be attacked because the very essence of the curse because of the fall has made everything change. We considered that because of the fall, woman's desire would be what? For her husband. And what does that mean? She desires to love him, desires to be with him. What is that desire? Thomas. She competes with him for leadership. She competes with him for leadership. <clears throat> In other words, her desire would be to rule over her husband. And he, because of the fall, wants to dominate his wife. Not exercise loving authority over here, but dominate. So anyone that's in the flesh, we as Christians, that's what's going to happen. And when we start seeing that, we have to recognize, hey, wait a minute, there's something wrong. If I'm wanting to dominate my wife, then I need to pull back and examine. What am I doing here? Why, am I, why is my attitude of trying to control her and dominate rather than lead and minister to her and trying to find out what her needs are? This is a good way to de determine whether or not we are either ministering in the spirit as we're led and filled with the spirit which is the whole preface of this text. I mean, if we go back to verse, what, 18 in chapter 5? Be not drunk with wine, which is a dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, in the context, when you do a historical cultural, why would Paul use that comparative? Why would he use that analysis? Well, it's because the pagan culture that they lived in, in Ephesus, they would worship false idols. They would become drunk with wine or intoxicated by alcohol. And then they would have all kinds of 
horrible practices, all to be considered worshiping as they worship these false idols. So Paul was using that analogy, and if somebody is under the influence of something, what does that mean? They're going to be what? Controlled by that influence. Um, Paul says, rather, to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. A lot of people think of this filling like we fill up a glass, and I'm filling up with the Spirit. That's not at all what it's speaking of. Filling is being controlled, keeping on being controlled by God's Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We're submitted to his word. We're keeping close accounts with our sin. That is, we're confessing our sin when we're, uh, if we have a sin, that we're confessing it and keeping regular accounts with God. We want God's spirit to rule in our lives. We want to be able to have him empower us to do his will, which is revealed in his word. So that's the whole preface of Paul now addressing husbands and wives. And then when we get to verse 21, he begins with this. I'll back up. Submitting yourself, let's back up to verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things. To God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So this submission is mutual. We're submitting to our wives, they're submitting to us. It doesn't usurp our role of being the authority in the household, which God has given us. We already looked at that in 1 Corinthians 11. If any of you hadn't been here previous, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. So we looked at that and we saw that in essence, man and woman are perfectly equal. There's total equality because we can refer to Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female, but all are one in Christ. So in Christ, in our essence, we're totally and completely equal. But in our function, our role, there's an authority structure which God has given. Christ here on earth, totally and completely equal with God. Fully man, fully God. And yet, did the will of the Father. I'm here, I'm doing the will of the Father. So we're seeing that structure and that headship But here in verse 21, Paul says, submit one to another. See, if we went back to the garden prior to the fall, that relationship was perfect harmony. There was perfect union with Adam and Eve, and there was perfect harmony between Adam, Eve, and God. A perfect union. They were without sin. They were created sinless, and they had perfect communion with God and each other. And so the structure or the headship or the authoritative role was one of perfect love. There was no sin to corrupt that. The only place where it gets corrupted is after the fall. 
that authoritative role becomes corrupt. And when the, if the flesh is involved at all, it's going to get skewed. That's why we, you know, some people don't like the term, but it's the roles are reversed. Woman tries to take over, man lets, relinquishes that. Why is it that Eve didn't consult her husband? We don't know. It's not recorded. But when she was tempted, could she have not gone to her husband and said, I, I'm really struggling with this. I mean, this is the only command that God has given us. And the serpent has tempted me, and it's looking pretty good right now. And it would have been his role as authority to protect her from that. He didn't do that as well. So both of them sinned. Nevertheless, the original design, the harmony, the union of husband and wife was perfect. It wasn't flawed by our flesh. <clears throat> That's the way it can be brought back in Christ. So, you know, as we look at this, uh, all our marriages are in different places. Some are mature and growing and vibrant. Others are in the process of learning things and struggles. I just want to say this with a word of encouragement. As we learn these roles biblically and apply them by God's grace, it starts transforming your life. It will bring harmony in the home. So it is a matter of our submitting to God's word and humbling ourselves and acknowledging, hey, you know what? I haven't done this right. I really haven't. Confessing it. Not casually, not cavalier, but truly confessing our failure to obey God because of sin. As we do that and appropriate his grace to apply these truths, then we start growing in that love for one another. <clears throat> Before the fall, they had perfect harmony. Adam could say this, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There was no criticism against Eve. He saw her as perfect, God's gift to him. <clears throat> the relationship was perfect prior to the fall. God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living thing that moves on the earth. Marriage was looked at uh, in light of God's design, was instituted for what? Procreation, companionship, to fill the earth, and ultimately, as we see in the New Testament, it even models Christ and the church. It's a picture of Christ and the church, even as we'll see in Ephesians 5. <clears throat> it's also the uh, aspect of physical fulfillment in marriage. Outside of marriage, it brings forth destruction. The fall made the roles in marriage perverted. As we looked at, uh, the husband wants to dominate now rather than to lead his wife. The wife wants to usurp that authority, take over. And that's the essence of women's liberation. 
That's the whole motivation for that movement. It isn't that women shouldn't be treated properly, but it's that women want not just equal rights. They want to have dominion over man. They may not say that, but that's the driving motivation. And that's because of the fall. They may not even know what's driving it. Ron? Good point. I'm going to pick up on that. Ron brings out a good point. One of the reasons throughout history of the women's reaction to men is because the way men have perverted their authoritative role over women. It's uh, As we look at Roman culture, uh, there was a Roman scholar in second century Rome. He said this. If a woman in marriage was caught in any form of infidelity, the husband had perfect right to kill her without a trial. If the man was discovered by the woman in infidelity, she could not so much as raise a finger or say a word against him. Roman culture. A.D. 200. Yes. Absolutely. Did you hear what Dorothy said? If men would love their wives as Christ loved the church, it would be very easy for a woman to submit to her husband. Why? Because she would feel safe. She would know that she's protected. She would know that she was cherished. And she would have complete trust in her husband in every sense of the word. So it would be easy. Yes, Brian. Good point. Did you hear what Brian said? (laughs) There's not a human on this earth, a man on this earth, that can fulfill this role outside of Christ. We preface that when we started. We have to understand it's by the grace of God that we can obey God's word. Men, if they were able to even follow these principles to some degree, would improve their marriage. But they couldn't do it to any level of degree the way God's called us to outside of Christ. We don't have the power or strength. Even a believer in sin would not be able to do any of this. Why? He doesn't have the power. Power less. Like going out on a cold day, go out, put the key in ignition, turn it, click. Why? Battery is dead. Low amp, one of those low amp batteries that just doesn't hold up in sub-zero temperature. The same way a believer has no power at all to do the will of God outside of God's grace and being in right stead with our Lord. So male chauvinism, what does that mean? You've all heard the word and most of us have used it. Well, I took the liberty of looking up Webster's. It's contempt for the opposite sex. Men, 
contempt for women, disdains them. He may use them. And throughout history, the most dominant distortion of relationship has been, which side do you think it's been on? Which side do you think has perverted the relationship and husband and wives more? Men or women? Wow, we got a good mix here. I love it. I heard men on this side. I heard women. Uh, it's men. Men have perverted this so much so that even throughout history, any history scholar goes back into history. And you can see that women were treated like servants or cattle. They treat, mistreated them, and it was a perversion. In the formal setting and the Roman culture, women, they were to bear children so they could do so, and the husband would have all kinds of concubines. She would have demand that be taking care of the house and the children, and the husband did whatever he wanted. It was a complete perversion of the man's role. And as we go through history, in different societies, it's not much different here, is it? I, don't, I would say no. It's, it's very close right now. Our country is very close to Roman culture. We're headed that way, and we're steeped in it. In Roman culture, homosexuality was rampant. UA, USA, it's rampant. It's promoted. It's even encouraged and recognized as something to be sought after. Divorce in the Roman culture. It was not uncommon for somebody to have up to 25, 30 divorces. I mean, I mean, how would you even comprehend that kind of a culture? Well, I preface this whole course with, in Los Angeles, there's jewelry stores that rent wedding rings. We look at that, we laugh, but it's true. That's the temporal essence of the commitment to marriage. As long as this attractiveness is there, they'll stay together. But when that leaves, well, the commitment's over. So what is it that we look for in this kind of love that God's called men to? Is it based on attractiveness? No. Mm -mm. Is it based on intelligence? Is it based on the wife's obedience? Is it based on anything that the wife does? No, it's not. It's based on the object of our relationship, and that is the wife is given to us for us to love, to cherish, to honor, and to provide for, and to truly have a wholesome and harmonious relationship. That's what it's supposed to be. Now, I have a friend who Marsha and I have been witnessing to him for years. I used to work with him 37 years ago. He's in construction. He was. He just, he's been retired for a little while. He is a tough guy. Some of you helped pray. His name is Whitey. Doesn't live in this state. None of you know him. Probably never will meet him. He has been married this last month. He had 60 years. Marriage. 
he has, for the last 15 years, taken care of his wife. She's got physical debilitations. I, I don't even know how to describe them. But at this point, she's blind. She cannot walk. She can barely lift to eat. And he has been taking care of her, bedridden, at her side. And if she goes to the hospital, he stays in the room, making sure that she gets the right meds and that they take proper care of her. He's unregenerate. I talked to him this week, one evening. Asked him how things were going. Not good. She's not doing well. I said, you know, Whitey, you are a very good example to me. I said, actually, you're, uh, the way you're loving your wife is uh, kind of a biblical parallel. He didn't know what I was talking about. What do you mean? I said, well, you're loving your wife unconditionally. She can't see. She can barely talk. Some of the time, she can't even recognize you. She's gained over 200, a uh, couple hundred pounds. She's, he can't lift her anymore. He's got to use a, some kind of equipment to move her and to keep her from getting bed sores. I said, you know what? You're just showing unconditional love. And I said, that's uh, remarkable. And he didn't say nothing. He didn't know it. He's not the kind of guy that takes compliments very well. But it was. I mean, it wasn't based on anything other than his commitment to the marriage and his commitment to his wife. Remarkable. I mean, it was deeply impressive to me. <clears throat> That's the kind of love we're called to. Now, as we look at the first book of the Bible, after the fall, we're going to see a bunch of things happen. We see fratricide. Do you know what fratricide means? Anybody? Some of you brilliant ones are not supposed to raise your hand. But I see somebody nodding their head. Do you know what that means, fratricide? He's got it. Steve? Give him a star. <laughs> That's what it means. It means killing a member of your own family or a sibling. What do we have in Genesis? Right after the fall. Cain and Abel, brothers. Cain, jealous of Abel, kills him, slays him, covers him up. Then we go on further and we see... Um, Abraham. Well, we don't even go that far before we see uh, Limech in chapter 4, I think it is, in Genesis. Polygamy. God has in marriage one man, one woman. We have polygamy with Limech. Then later on, when Sarah is unable to have a child, she becomes frustrated, asks Abraham to take his her handmaid and have a child with that handmaid. So we have adultery. Child is born out of that relationship or encounter. So we have fratricide. We have polygamy. Oh, I almost forgot about Sodom and Gomorrah. Homosexuality, fornication, rape, prostitution. 
That's just in the first book of the Bible. So did relationships get perverted? Yes, absolutely. Sin made a great perversion of man and woman and what their relationship should be. God provided his son to be able to enable us to have salvation from that sin and to be able to live according to his original design. So we already looked at 1 Peter 3, 7, and uh, as we look at this sacrificial love now, let's continue down. Let's drop down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, Dorothy already made the statement, if a man would love his wife as Christ loved the church, then a woman would be so easily submitting to her husband that it wouldn't be a problem. The world's uh, love is object-oriented. When somebody looks for a spouse, they look for what? Physical attraction? Um, Personality, maybe? Intelligence? Humor, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, if you have a little money, that that, uh, adds to the appeal. So, you know, those are factors that people put into play. I was talking with a Christian couple this week, and um, they said, you know, we have uh, our children, and from birth we told them, you're not going to (laughs) date. I said, oh, that would have been an interesting scene at the prenatal, whatever they do in the hospital where they're born. That would have been interesting. You're not going to date. So, you know, she was telling me, the mother was telling me how important it was to stress that. And I said, well, we're going to look at a couple of those factors as we go forth with the youth. I have to consult with the parents first, but um, we're going to examine some of those things. But we can look at something here for all of us, whether we're grandparents, whether we're widowers, whether we're uh, single parents, we can look at these requisites. What does somebody look for in a potential spouse? How could we encourage someone that's looking for a spouse? What would we tell them to look for? Good. Who was that? Who raised that one? Dorothy. Not to be unequally yoked. You know how difficult that is? Marcia was unequally yoked with me for a while. We got married before either of us were saved. And Marcia got saved. And Marcia's mother prayed for me for 12 years before I was saved. Things. Yeah, I know, but I'm using this as an example because that was horrible for Marcia when she became a Christian. She couldn't 
you know, truly grow as a Christian because I didn't even want her to go to church. I mean, I mean, I had a lot of worldly, uh, horrible perversions of understanding anything in the way of relationship. I don't mean perversion, immoral perversion. Don't dig in No. Yes. Okay. Needless to say, not unequally yoked. What's another thing that one would consider? Brian. <clears throat> Amen. That is the key thing as we consider a spouse is their relationship in Christ. And not just hearing about it, but being able to empirically verify that. Know those individuals, not by dating, but just by uh, knowledge of their family, knowledge of the individual. We'll get into that more. I'm not going to cover too much of that this morning. As we consider what Christ's love for the church is and was, he gave his life. Now, some men might say, well, you know, I'd die for my wife. And I would say this, are you willing to die daily for your wife? Are you willing to sacrificially give the things that your desires are to fulfill her needs and desires? That's what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about us physically. I mean, it may come to that, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a sacrificial, selfless love where we consider the other as more important than ourselves. Philippians 2. That's the kind of love that Christ had for the church. And that's what Paul is using this for. I mean, I thought, of all the illustrations, he gives us the highest that we could ever look at. Christ, perfect essence of love, God incarnate, perfect love in every way. Can we appropriate that kind of love? Yes. If we're believers, we're partakers of the divine nature. We won't do that perfectly. We can't in this flesh. But we can practice God's love and exercise that love towards others, but especially towards our spouse. That is, where we're considering them more important. And going back to this knowing aspect of living with our wives in an understanding way. Now, I know some of you men have hobbies. Now, I've got hobby of restoring things. Some like to restore old cars. Some like outdoor sports. Some like indoor sports, like football. Or Does anyone here like that kind of sport? There's a few. Now, if I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to these sports, and I don't speak this to demean anyone that loves these sports. There's nothing wrong. 
I'm just saying, do you understand the rules of the game? Yeah, of course you would. Do you understand who the players are that you're watching? Oh, yeah. I mean, I sat down with some of the guys, and they were telling me who played and what their history was. They know what they like. Are they, are we, husbands, and I speak to myself, are we understanding and getting to know our wives in that way with that kind of a desire? I mean, whatever our hobbies are, it's fine to have hobbies. And this isn't trying to make a comparative as our hobby towards our wife. I'm just saying when we like something, we try to do everything we can to enjoy that. And usually we'll try to find everything out that we can about it. When I restore a tool, I go back and try to find the history of it, when it was made, what kind of a use it had, and then the original materials, all that kind of stuff. Am I doing the same thing about my wife? <clears throat> I read this <clears throat> Christian uh, counseling book, very good book. And uh, actually, this guy was a professor at uh, Masters. I think my son had him as one of his professors. He, uh, in his marriage book, he had a list of questions that husbands might ask their wives to get to know them better. And I went through the list. I think there was about 50 items. And I was looking at it, and Marsha said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just looking at something. And uh, she said, well, what is it? And I said, oh, it's kind of a silly thing. as guys asking questions that we should ask our wives. She said, well, like what? I said, they're silly. I mean, it's like, oh, who would even want to know this? Uh, <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> like, what's your favorite food? She goes, do you know what my favorite food is? I, no, I. <laughs> so she just kind of looked at me, you know. Well, I mean, that's a small example, but how can we get to know our wives better? Really, know what they like, what they desire, who they are emotionally, how, what their idea of relationship is, what their ideas of intimacy is. Man's idea of intimacy in a woman's, wow, there's a great chasm there. <laughs> we have to understand that and learn what does that intimacy mean to our wives. So it's a challenge, but that's the kind of love that emanates as we love our wives sacrificially. That's the kind of love that Paul has stated in a command form, that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. <clears throat> God's love is not like the love that's in the world. It's just absolute antithesis. As we learn to love our wives in that way, it creates a whole different perspective of our wives. We'll see. What do you mean by that? Well, we're commanded to love our wives, so that's a given. And we're commanded to love them sacrificially with an agape love. This is addressed to believers. So if we're loving them with an agape love, and we're doing that out of obedience, what about the emotion? Is there any emotion there? 
Is this just a mechanical love? No. We should, as we love our wives, we find things attractive that we never even thought of before. Things that maybe even were a source of irritation. I won't use personal illustrations. Promise. <laughs> now have become kind of humorous to me. You know? you know. um, but as we get to love our wives, it's an act of the will to do so. It's a choice to love. It's a command to love. As we do so, we begin to find new and a new understanding of that relationship. It's not based on what they do to reciprocate. It's not even based on anything uh, necessarily that would be a real quality that we saw in them in the past. We're learning new things all the time about our wives. In this life, things change. 45 years ago, uh, I had hair. Um, <laughs> 40, I did. I know. Yeah. 45 years ago, we looked different. And that doesn't matter. We grow and our love grows in Christ in a total different way. We see each other in a different way. So it doesn't, it's not dependent upon that initial uh, attraction. But we have an attraction. There is an attraction. That love emanates out of a pure love for our wives. It's not based on worth or deserving. By this we know love, because he first laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3.16 As we consider that kind of unconditional love, that's what God commands of the husbands for their wives. We've got to close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it's illuminating the roles that you have given us in marriage and in family. I just thank you, Father, for your love, your faithfulness. I ask that you would enable us to uh, participate in these uh, acts of love with our spouses, with other people, in a way that would honor you and that we would find uh, enjoyment out of our relationship in our marriages. I just thank you and praise you for what you've given us, and I pray that you continue to minister your word, and as we worship you in song and praise, I just pray, Father, that our hearts would be ready and that you'd be glorified as we continue this worship service. And as Jim brings forth the word, I just praise you and thank you that we can be prepared to receive it, to bring forth your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.